3CR. 3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respects to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning, you're listening to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. The time is 7am and it's uh, the 16th of March. Uh, my name is Genevieve. I'm joined here uh, by Fung and Steph. Good Hello. morning. How are we all feeling this morning? Feeling good. Pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. <laughs> yeah, pretty good. Um, it was a bit of a mild. I actually rode in this morning, oh. which oh, is like you? insane for me <laughs> to actually muster up the energy That's to ride so in. Good. So I feel more energized than I usually do this morning, actually. It feels like winter's on the way. It's, it's like that darkness. Winter is time. definitely coming, yeah. Like frosty and like, yeah. I was surprised how many people were out though at this time. But it was really busy on the roads. Yeah. Already. What? Mm. <laughs> um, speaking of uh, winter, the weather this morning, <laughs> or the weather today, um, it's going to be top of 21, a low of 13. Partly cloudy, classic Melbourne autumn day, um, but it is going to be warming up this week. It's like 26 degrees for like four days after today, um, and then classic, also classic Melbourne has a bit of a hot spell, and then just like the heavens open, just mm. like <laughs> torrential rain <laughs> on Sunday. Um, all right, well we've got a pretty big show on today um we're going to be obviously doing all the regular stuff news headlines um but we've going to be discussing an alternative news topic and that i mean international women's day was last week but um still relevant to talk about it this week um and especially i guess the history of international women's day um specifically we're going to be drawing off a speech that was done by um alexandra kolontai back in 1913 and then uh, March for Justice rally was yesterday. Um, 3CR uh, did pretty much live broadcasting for a lot of the day yesterday um, uh, from the march in Melbourne. Um, so we're going to be playing a few of the um, callers that called in yesterday um, telling us about the atmosphere, what was going on at the march, um, also going to be talking about, I guess, the march in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and Steph, do you want to tell us about the interview? Yeah, sure. We're playing an interview from Out of the Pan with Sally Goldner, and it's with the filmmaker who made the documentary, Why Did She Have to Tell the World?, which is about... Um, two lesbians that came out on Australian TV 50 years ago. So, yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, and then just lastly, 
I'm going to be speaking to Sasha Sidek about um, an upcoming spoken word performance that's going to be performed at Midsummer Festival this year. So big show. Um, we'll be back with the news headlines right after this. The Rainbow Door is a free, culturally safe, specialist helpline for all LGBTIQA plus Victorians. The helpline provides information, support and referral from experienced peer workers on issues including mental health, family violence, relationships, suicide prevention and sexual assault. For information, support and referral, call the Rainbow Door on 1800 729 367. That's 1800 729 367, 10am to 6pm every day. Switchboard is a 3CR supporter. Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in to 3CR. These are the news headlines for Tuesday 16th March. Last week we found out that three Aboriginal people had died in custody in the space of a week. Two of the deaths were in New South Wales and the third in Victoria at Ravenhall Correctional Centre. The news came to light as the findings of the coronial inquest into the death of Nathan Reynolds were handed down. He died in 2018 after prison guards took an unreasonably long time to provide medical help during an asthma attack. This year will be 30 years since the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody, so there's a lot of calls for action and accountability. Loretta Allen has a really good article in The Guardian about it, if you want to read more. Have either of you been following that? Yeah, I think um, in the past week there's been um, a lot on um, social media, especially from staunch um, First Nations um, people, um, especially women, yeah. who are calling out um, yeah, these horrific deaths in custody. Definitely, mm. yeah. I've been following it a um a little bit and mm. um, did skim that article and we'll put that article on the website as well um, but yeah just I mean extremely disappointing um, kind of leaves and residue of just like I guess hope is kind of like p- pulling at straws here but um, I, I mean there's been a lot of discussion about police brutality mm. and especially even um, in light of recent events, um, as well as these deaths in custody. Um, but, yeah, it's like there are some incredible, incredible campaigners, incredible mm. activists following this, definitely. Cool. Um, related to police, um, over in the UK, thousands of people attended a vigil to commemorate the life of Sarah Everett. She disappeared while walking home and a police officer has since been charged with her kidnapping and killing. The vigil took place despite strict lockdown rules and there was a lot of tension and violence as the police dragged people away. Um, This is really part of the ongoing conversation about both gendered violence and police violence. Paula Apkin has also written an article for Vice about black people in the UK who've been victims of police and state brutality. So in the UK, black people account for 8% of recorded deaths in police custody, but only 3% of the population. So you can check out that article if you want to read more. Um, Have you followed that stuff? Oh, the photos were awful. Yes, Um, that that photo of um, this uh, woman, I can't remember what her t-shirt says but Mm. it was something to do with the police violence and she's literally getting grabbed Mm. by police behind her it's just 
it's like <laughs> crazy. Mm. But it is interesting, you know, Steph, um, talking about the um, violence that um, black people in the UK, I mean, right here in Australia and yeah. the US, um, are met with all the time. Yeah. Um, this isn't something that's new for them. So um, I think it's important to keep that in mind every time we talk about um, or we discuss police brutality or yeah. um, violence um, either at home or in the streets. Definitely. I think it's important yeah. to not forget. Yeah. yeah, especially the intersectionality in terms mm. of um, all of this. Um, I was listening to, I think it was, I think it was an ABC just radio update, but they were interviewing someone um, in uh, the UK mm. about what was happening in terms of the vigil, um, and you know they were saying that just like a week or so beforehand there was uh, rallies because of some football match and you know huge crowds and nothing there was no sort of um intervention by the police yeah um that sounds very familiar yeah like, you can go and watch sport but you can't gather yeah that's fine yeah um yeah it's just extremely disappointing but yeah i definitely think you know keep in mind that um people of color and um black bodies have been i guess uh, infl- police brutality has always been inflicted on them and it's something definitely not to be um, ignored just because it's kind of entered the mainstream because it's been... Definitely. Yeah, for sure. Um, last week the team talked about the banning of the burqa in Switzerland. You might remember if you were tuned in. Well, on Saturday, Sri Lanka's government announced it will also ban the burqa and close over a 1,000 Islamic schools. So the government's doing this on the grounds of national security. Uh, on the same day, they announced new anti-terror laws, which would allow them to detain people for two years under the grounds of de-radicalization. People have called this out as another step in the ongoing persecution of the minority Muslim population, and people are calling for public education rather than just encouraging stigma. That's, yeah, that's crazy. I mean... I th- yes, uh, Switzerland, Sri Lanka, they're obviously very uh, different, not just geographically, yeah. but I guess similar kind of thinking in terms of this, w- still this war against terror, yeah. um, which is pretty much just a war against um, Muslims. Yeah. Um, wow. I um, and finally... Probably everyone's aware that the March for Justice rallies happened over the weekend and yesterday. So there are around 40 across the country, and I'm not sure if anyone has an official kind of figure, but I have tens of thousands of yeah. people turned <laughs> out. Um, um, so we'll be hearing from people who attended the rally later in the show, so stay tuned for that. Yeah, and I'm sure the listeners know what the march was about, but um, obviously in response to the highly publicised... Um, uh, sexual assault cases that have come out in the media in recent time, I guess predominantly prompted by the Brittany Higgins case, but also there's been obviously many other allegations, you know, against Christian Porter and um, even, you know, Grace Thames yeah. um, speech, which was incredible. This march was um, for justice for, I guess, everyone that's experienced sexual violence, but um, prompted by the, these events. Um, cool. Great. So, 
what we're going to do next is we're going to do this alternative news. I'm going to play the alternative news sting <laughs> because <it's laughs> um, if Lauren is listening, um, I hope you enjoy this. Uh, we'll be back with old news in just a sec. Some folks know about it, some don't. Some will learn to shout it, some won't. But sooner or later, baby, here's a ditty. Say you're gonna have to get right down to the real nitty-gritty. Let's get right down to the real nitty-gritty now. One, two, nitty-gritty now, yeah, boom. Nitty-gritty, So for alternative news uh, this week, we're going to be discussing um, International Women's Day, which was last week um, on Monday. Um, Specifically, we're going to be drawing from a speech that was done by Russian revolutionary politician, diplomat and Marxist theoretician, uh, Alexandra Kolontai, Um, uh, specifically kind of... I guess, expanding on the history of International Women's Day and how, I guess, International Women's Day has been uh, distorted from its origins, um, specifically being a socialist um, movement for working women. Yeah, there's this great article on Green Left Weekly that um, summarises really well the radical history of International Women's Day. Um, Maybe we can put it up. On the website yeah, afterwards. Um, but yeah, like you were saying, Jen, it's, it was predominantly, um, you know, organised by working women, striking women, um, yeah. with the earliest sort of um, International Women's Day event, um, or the earliest form of it, um, occurring in 1908 in New York, um, when there were 30,000 striking garment workers and mainly migrant women mm-hmm. who took to the streets to demand um, not only better working conditions and the right to vote. And you sort of see throughout history a similar pattern of of working women taking to the streets and demanding better working conditions, um, which is amazing. I, I, yeah. think it's, I feel like it's so impressive. Definitely. Well, kind of, um, and something that, this speech it's called Women's Day and it was written by Colin Ty on February the night February 1913 um, and was published in the newspaper one week before the first ever celebration in Russia of the day of international solidarity among the female proliterate um, which was 8th of March mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it kind of brings obviously with Socialism and communism. Um, at the time, it brings in the work, the unity of the working class, um, and for the awakening of self-consciousness among women workers. Um, yeah, she sort of says like, it, you know, um, campaigning for the rights of women workers helps both women and also to unite the working class because, um, you know, for uh, the men who are working, it's not going to be. You know, she sort of says it's not going to be a disadvantage if you include women in your struggle. Um, yeah, it's actually going to uh, allow for more rights for everyone in the working class. So, 
Um, yeah, did you have any favorite parts yeah, or excerpts I've, from the article? I've written down, I've now realized that I've um, written down heaps of quotes, so I'm just going <laughs> to... Me too. Gonna, I feel yeah, like everything it was, so, was like, it was, it was so, so relevant. It's so relevant today. Mm. I mean, it's over 100 years ago that this was written, and you're kind of thinking, well, we still have these issues when we're talking about... Uh, International Women's Day or Women's Day issues in general where they kind of miss... We'll, I think we'll, we'll talk about the, I guess, distortion in terms of modern <laughs> International <laughs> Women's Day uh, soon. But, um, yeah, just like, you know, class is really missed in a lot of conversation when it comes to, you know, uh, gender, um, race or any sort of intersectionality um, class is kind of very much always underlining all of this so I think Kolontai really nail, hits the nail on the head um, I think one quote that I um, thought was really good there's as a members of the party women workers are fighting for the common class cause while at the same time outlining and putting forward those needs and demands that most nearly affect themselves as women, housewives and mothers. The party supports these demands and fights for them. The requirements of working women are part and parcel of the common workers' cause. Mm. Yeah, I thought that really summed it up quite well. I mean, there's a lot of quotes that sum it up quite well. I know, I'm trying to look through mine as well. Um, I really like uh, the part where she says what is the aim what is the aim of the women workers their aim is to abolish all privileges deriving from birth or wealth for the woman worker it is a matter of indifference who is the master a man or a woman uh, together with the whole of her class she can ease her position as a worker I think a lot of times we talk about representation or, or um, of women in in um, leadership positions which is incredibly important of course but we also have to remember, you know, within like a capitalist system, we do have women at the top who often oppress Definitely. other women or, um, you know, uh, yeah, keep other women in poverty. Um, yeah. I'm thinking of, you know, the changes to um, Job Seeker and, and um, how hard Centrelink can be for a lot of people. And I think disproportionately women are. Um, punished for that um, and it can yeah. make it really hard for them to leave you know abusive households if if they don't if they aren't um, financially yeah. Uh, independent or yeah it's the, yeah definitely it's incredibly relevant um, definitely and you know the, the I think uh, Colin Ty says um, you know what is the aim of the feminists um, and you know for the women worker it is a matter of indifference who is the master, a man or a woman, together with the whole of her class, she can ease her position as a worker. So it really kind of uh, obliterates any sort of difference. I mean, obviously, there was quite a stark difference between men and women's rights back then. Mm. But, you know, class as a whole, you just want equal rights as a worker and predominantly focusing on the working class mm. um, to rise up and um, fight, you know, patriarchal society. 
um, was such a difference between, you know, the bourgeoisie suffragettes that were uh, also rallying at the time for a vote but were predominantly, obviously they were bourgeoisie, they were predominantly wives Mm -hmm. of, um, you know, really wealthy, powerful men. They had the time to uh, protest, they had the time to organise, and they really didn't care about working women. They kind of just wanted um, the help for themselves. And I think there was a, uh, Colin Tite directly um, interrogates this. Um, she says, for bourgeoisie women, political rights are simply a means allowing them to make their way more conveniently and more securely in a world founded in the exploitation of the working people. For women workers, Political rights are a step along the rocky and difficult path that leads to the desired kingdom of labour. I mean, that's extremely wow. poetic. <laughs> it's so poetic. And then if you sort of link that into the history, the wider history of International Women's Day, um, I, I read in that um, uh, Green Left article by Kathy Fairfax that the most dramatic International Women's Day was actually in Russia, Um in uh, 1917, um, with the backdrop of the First World War, women demanded both an end to the war and poverty because in St. Petersburg, the cost of rent and food had more than doubled. Mm-hmm. And so they marched um, in March, uh, which then led to a series of food riots, political strikes and demonstrations. And I think after after two days, uh, two days after that, the Tsar then abdicated and the February Revolution begun. So I feel like that is incredibly powerful. Um, And to remember that, you know, when you do, like, organise as workers, you can achieve incredible results. Yeah, I read a bit about that as well in terms of the strikes. A lot of women worked in textiles, predominantly in Russia, and there was just mass strikes. Like, they were on the streets, they weren't working, um, and I guess, like, I mean, you, we talk about uh, radical politics and activism on, at 3CR quite a bit. And, you know, it's, um, I guess, really important that these people sacrificed, like, they literally sacrificed themselves up to this. It's not about, and actually this might be a bit good segue into talking about International Women's Day today. <laughs> um, mm. It's not about individualism. It's not about, you know... Yeah, eating your cupcake on like <laughs> yeah, it's breakfast tea or whatever. It's not about your success mm. um, as a woman. Woman, it's about um, helping other working women. It's about you know sacrificing something of yourself to help other women have equal rights, which I think has been extremely lost. Yeah, there uh, definitely has been a shift. I think from the collective um, to the individual. Um, with each sort of International Women's Day. Um, yeah, like you were saying, the breakfasts and the luncheons to celebrate um, successes, which, you know, of course has a time and place and it can be really important. Um, but, yeah, I think if you keep in mind the history of International Women's Day, I think a lot more can be done and you can definitely build on the momentum mm. of, of movements um, to achieve greater equality for everyone regardless of class yeah (laughs) Mm. definitely and I think just like I mean the pure commodification of International Women's Day the merchandise the like it's just like (laughs) 
<laughs> it's crazy. And I mean, they, and I, I know that there was some, uh, definitely some problematic stuff that happened with the International Women's Day last week in terms of yes. representation, especially at the march, which was really disappointing. Um, no Indigenous women spoke at the march. Um, and, you know, it's uh, having only women that I guess, and I mean, I'm actually drawing off an incredible interview that I listened to with Celeste Little. Um, this is this was actually done last year, but um, still pretty relevant um, on the ABC and, uh, you know, they talk about, you know, you get a woman who has been successful in, you know, predominantly a corporate sphere. You know, she's been successful and she does a speech about how she became successful and, like, how she, you know, beat, you know, she worked with a patriarchal system <laughs> to uh, be successful. And it's kind of like, yeah, misses the mark entirely, um, kind of fits instead of even, like, interrogating the system, it kind of says, well, you know, mould yourself into the system, and then if you're successful in that system, then you should be celebrated because that's just <laughs> incredible. But yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, I think um, perhaps, you know, um, something different that we could be doing is, like what you're saying, Jen, instead of focusing on individual stories, how can we then pivot the conversation and target the the discriminatory systems or institutions that allow a, a small group of people, a small group of women to succeed. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. It's like the whole CEO kind of yeah. celebration of Girl boss. Power. Oh, yeah. Um, it's <laughs> interesting, though, in the Green Left article, they talk about... Um, Around the Cold War, there was a lot of anti-communist hysteria and that brought about conservatism yeah. and that's when like, direct action stopped being so prevalent and then it became about luncheons and after yeah. afternoon teas and then women's lib happened and like the movement picked back up. Um, so it makes you wonder whether we're going through like a phase of conservatism oh, and it will change oh my God. or whether... Like, it's been commodified so much that we're just going to keep having cupcakes. Yeah. It's like the main conversation. <laughs> the most important conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. she, uh, uh, sorry, Kathy Fairfax does end on, I would say, a relatively hopeful note, um, you know, saying that there have been movements in the last couple of years. I mean, this article was written in 2019, but naming movements such as Me Too, and I guess you know, um, we were talking about March for Justice just before, yeah. and we'll listen to a couple of speeches in a second, but um, referring to those movements as perhaps, yeah, part of a new wave of of um, of Women's Day events that, that are perhaps um, more, I don't know, staunch, radical. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, something that comes to my mind straight away, sorry, I was just trying to look at what their actual names, I know that they're called something specific, but I can't remember, but the feminist movement in Latin America has some, that is, if anything staunch, that is extremely staunch. Like, you know, the abortion um, rights that they've been rallying for, all sorts of stuff, like they, it, like, I can't remember what they're called. This is it's like feministas or something, but that's kind of a movement that's you know working class women um, giving up something of themselves to um, fight for the rights in Latin America. So I guess that's something. Um, all right, 
Does anyone have any last <laughs> remarks? No. Um, yeah, we'll put the articles up on the website. Yeah, definitely. Definitely worth a read um, for our listeners. If you didn't know um, the history of International Women's Day, I definitely learnt something researching this. Um, but we're going to play a few CSAs um, and uh, we'll be back with a track. On Tuesday, March the 16th at 6pm, the Indigenous-led charity Books and Boots will host a special screening of the film In My Blood It Runs at the Thornbury Picture House. All ticket sale proceeds will go to Books and Boots, who transport pre-loved children's books to First Nations kids in remote communities across Australia. For a fun night out and to help close the literacy gap, head to Eventbrite and search Closing the Gap Fundraiser for Books and Boots or go to the website booksandboots.org.au to secure your tickets. Let's do it for the Eyes. Books and Boots is a 3CR supporter. The Rainbow Door is a free, culturally safe, specialist helpline for all LGBTIQA plus Victorians. The helpline provides information, support and referral from experienced peer workers on issues including mental health, family violence, relationships, suicide prevention and sexual assault. For information, support and referral, call the Rainbow Door on 1800 729 367. That's 1800 729 367, 10am to 6pm every day. Switchboard is a 3CR supporter. So before we listen to a couple of speeches from yesterday's March for Justice, um, we're going to play a track called Miliakbara by Emily Uramara. Yeah. 
by Emily Uramara. We're now going to cross um, to yesterday's Women's March for Action. We had a number of 3CR programs who were in attendance and rang in with updates. Um, so we're now going to hear from uh, Moreland City Councillor Sue Bolton. So tell us, what's the atmosphere there? How many people are there? Give us the well, news. Well, it's really difficult to tell how many people there are. But it is, um, I would say it's already in the thousands, like it's packed. It's like wow. one of the really big marches of, uh, of rallies of 10,000 or 20,000. I don't know if it'll get to that point, but it possibly will, uh, because it's just an absolute sea of people and, um, masses of people are coming in. So young people, old people, mostly women, but men as well. And also, um, this morning there was a rally of 400 women at Torquay, I'm aware of. Good stuff. Um, or mm-hmm. supporters at Torquay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I suspect this Melbourne rally is going to be, yeah, I, I think it could easily end up as 10,000, maybe more. And bear in mind, Sue, this is on a Monday at short notice. Yeah, that's right. And there are a lot of people who want to be here who couldn't get time off work. Um, there are some union banners here, which is really important to see. Because mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, especially for women in the workplace who get sexually assaulted or raped or harassed at work, um, the existence of unions, I know not all unions are, have always been good, 
on these issues. But like, if you if unions get too weak, then it, it, uh, the loss of another voice for women um, in the workplace when they're sexually assaulted or raped in the workplace. So. Yes. Yeah, that's it's, it's good a, to it's, see as well. It, it's really a massive workplace issue, isn't it? This whole thing around sexual assault and people individualise it and say all these things, but really a, a safe workplace is paramount for women, isn't it? For everybody, well, but for women in particular. I think that's absolutely critical. And, you know, if you think that what's happening in Parliament today, um, like with the rape of Brittany Higgins, if this can happen to someone who's most likely a member of the Liberal Party, I don't know if she is or not, but most likely as a Liberal staffer she was, um, and it is a private school network, etc., what's it like for women who are on temporary visas yes. or, um, you know, you know, not eligible for any kind of government support who do whatever job comes along and they've got no, re- no recourse um, like no income to fall back on if they lose their job. And so those women in particular are in such a vulnerable position. And I think also even just the fact that there's a group of male parliamentarians in the Liberal Party, and obviously I know sexual assault and rape, et cetera, doesn't, you know, follow party lines, uh, doesn't follow class lines necessarily or any kind of ethnic or religious lines, but the you know, is an across-the-board thing. But the fact that there's a group of Liberal Party people calling themselves the big swinging dicks, which is Christian Porter is part of, uh, that, even regardless of this historical rape allegation, that actually, um, the fact that he describes himself that way should disqualify him from being Attorney General because it's threatening towards women and threatening towards men who don't have power. So this is uh, a born-to-rule kind of attitude, and sexual assault and rape fit into that. God, yeah, yes. certainly, certainly is. So tell us a bit about the, uh, the demo where you're at, Sue. Is any, can you see any placards? Are they visible? I just wouldn't mind hearing oh, a bit about... Lots of lots of placards, including hand, homemade ones, which is I always like to see because they're always yeah. the most interesting. I mean, there's one placard. I'm just trying to walk around the crowd now. There's one placard I saw um, where he cried but he lied, i.e. Christian Porter. Then there's the um, end the big swinging dicks in Parliament. Um, <laughs> there's a number of... A number of I'm just on the phone to 3CR. I'll come and say hello. Uh, and... Um, I'm, I, everyone say hello. I'm just looking out for more placards. I'm in a bit of the crowd where there aren't so many placards. Um, then there's a number of We Believe Her. And then um, there's another one, If You're Not Outraged, You Are Not Paying Attention. Um, there's Enough is Enough. And... Um, yeah, then some of the unions that are here, I can't see the other side of the crowd, but some of the unions which are here are ETU and Teachers Union and ASU and no doubt other unions as well. Yeah, so you uh, made reference to the Canberra bubble, which was on uh, the ABC Four Corners last year. Um, it's quite right. If, they, if you can't have a safe workplace and one of the most privileged, well, handsomely remunerated things in Australia, like Parliament House, what hope have um, marginalised people got? 
Well, that's right. And what it does show is the epidemic of sexual violence goes way, way across the board. And it affects rich and privileged women as well. Not doesn't only affect working class women and women in poverty and, and so forth. It affects rich women as well. Um, I mean, I guess the thing is rich women have a few more um, resources to deal with things and in terms of access to services um, for support and so forth. But, you know, at various times when um, there's been a highly publicised cases of sexual assault, a lot of people suddenly come forward. And, um, you know, well, we've seen that with these, all these young high school women or former high school students revealing that they were raped um, in some terrible rapes by other private school boys um, that they were friends with, um, but also women in their 90s suddenly really realise or are revealing for the first time that they've been raped. And then some women who had terrible experiences with um, which they later realised actually there's a word you describe it as and that is rape or sexual assault. And so, you know, I mean, the fact that they didn't recognise it as such doesn't mean it wasn't a terrible experience but they didn't have the words and terms to describe to describe their experiences. Yeah, so um, it's, yeah, I mean, that's what happens with each of these times. And hopefully we can push for change uh, and change for everyone, for all women, um, because also all women have had the experience of suffering sexual harassment and thinking, you know, you get so tired, there's so much sexual harassment around that you're exhausted, you can't really take up every instance. So you sort of mentally think to yourself, is this serious enough for me to jump up and down about or will people not understand why I'm jumping up and down while I wait for something more serious? And that goes through, you know, I'd say every woman's mind. Yeah, and that, and that includes trans women as well. Uh, it's, it's, it's absolutely pers- persuasive. The vulnerable people who've seen as not part of the ruling elite or whatever term you want to put it. Yeah. Um, it's it's right across the board. This, that's what's good with this rally is they've made it welcoming to, to trans women because, um, you know, trans women face like a double oppression, really, in a sense. They're um, often subjected to violence and sexual assault for being women and then also um, for being trans women. So, um, you know, they really, really suffer enormously. So, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's, you know, just terrible. But I'm glad the rally organisers have made this an inclusionary rally um, to include trans women. Thank you, thank you so much, Sue, for ringing in. It's been great hearing your news from there, and you have a good rest of the day. Say hello to all the sisters out there for us. Yeah. Okay, thank you, Well, Sue. I would say, the crowd's built up while we've been talking, I would say this would easily be 10,000. 10,000, wow, that's, that's great. amazing. Yeah. And people will Possibly keep coming. More. Yeah. People will Possibly keep coming. More, yeah. yeah. There's yeah. more people arriving. It possibly could be more because I can't, where I'm at, I can't see the whole of the crowd, but <laughs> it's very large. 
Sure. So people would just head to Treasury Gardens, is that right? Just head to Treasury Gardens. They're not marching, so people are staying here. I don't know how long the um, speaking program will go, uh, and I don't know all of the people speaking. Um, but, yeah, I think come and be part of the few incredible solidarity you feel when you're in a massive crowd of people here for a common purpose. Okay, brilliant. Thanks so much, Sue. So that was Sue Bolton, Moreland City Councillor, speaking from the Melbourne March for Action uh, or March for Justice yesterday. Um, Also in attendance was Tilda Joy. Look, we've got another caller coming through from the Melbourne Rally. It's Tilda Joy from the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union and also the coordinator of this Sunday's 3CR's binary busting broadcast. And also a Wobbly and a member of the Sewer Show, the Wobbly program. So it's great That's to hear right. from you, Tildy. Tell us what's happening up there, out there. Hey, hey everyone. Good to hear your voice, Margaret. Um, yeah, look, it's huge out here. I should also give a plug. I'm also one of the presenters for Stick Together, which is a union show on, on 3CR. So, yeah, but, um, oh, it's massive out here. There's, there's thousands and thousands of people. Um, most of them dressed in black. And, yeah, we've just had a, a welcome to country. Um, you know, and that's really important, I think, following on from Women's Day last week where we didn't have any Indigenous speakers there. Um, they seem to have kind of got the message here and we've had a, you know, welcome to country and acknowledge whose land we're meeting on and, um, and the particular role that, you know, Indigenous women have, have played, um, you know, in the, in the story of, you know, patriarchy and violence on this continent. So that was good to start off with. Um, yeah, and it, I think it's going to be an amazing rally. Uh-huh. So give us an idea how many people you think and the, it sounds like the atmosphere is pretty good. Can you give us um, a feel of the sound? Can we hear a bit of the sound of the crowd? Is that possible? Because it's so quiet in here. I feel like I'm missing being at the demo. Well, that was just a huge eruption from the audience there. I'm not sure getting it. Um, just as speaking there, Margaret. But, um, yeah, it's a huge crowd. I think we've got a permit for 5,000, so I'm going to say we've got exactly... 4,999 people here, right. I think. Yep. Um, <laughs> well done, you. Well done. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the estimates were a little bit higher, but it's always hard to judge these crowds. It, it's massive. It's one of the big rallies, you know. Like this, You see this kind of amount of people turn out maybe for Invasion Day or the, the climate strike last year. It, it's absolutely huge. I'm just looking at a photo here. It is absolutely massive down there. Treasury Gardens yeah. is full. Yeah, 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 it's packed. So, Tilda, uh, you've been you've been doing a bit of travelling. You've been up to Sydney, and what's is there lots of talk about? You know, sort of lots of these issues. Do you feel that there's a bit of a groundswell happening? Things are changing, or what? What do you think's happening? Yeah, I think so, certainly. Yeah, I was up with um, RAPWU, the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union, up there last, last weekend for Mardi Gras, um, and that, that was absolutely huge as well. Um, and, yeah, I think just at this point in time, we are seeing a real conversation about this stuff, you know, and people are talking to it, um, you know, to, to teenage girls coming up in the world and saying, like, you, you can't accept this, this is absolutely wrong, this is the world we built for you, and, and it's pretty cooked, um, which is an amazing kind of, conversation certainly wasn't around you know when i was in high school um but we're seeing it across the world you know like there's there's riots in the moment in places like chile and mexico um about the femicide happening over there you know we've seen big demonstrations just in the last 24 hours at the so-called united kingdom against police violence and murder um 
of, of women. So um, I think it, there is a massive grand swell going on at the moment. And, yeah, it's a moment in time for sure. Yeah, and some of the, the joyful things of this demo is like solidarity, getting together, fun, you know, placards, people, you know, sort of having joyful occasions with each other. And I think social solidarity is really important, especially after COVID. People have had a hard time, haven't they? They really have. And, yeah, it is wonderful to be able to meet again in these numbers after such a long time. And, yeah, well, you know, speaking of solidarity, I can see banners from where I'm standing of just the Electrical Trades Union, uh, the Australian Nurses and Midwifery Foundation, the Australian Services Union, of course, Retail Fast Food Workers Union as well. Um, and they're just generally just the, you know, the union movement and all the trade hall people have come out with red, red banners and things like that. So, yeah, it's, it's good to see that kind of showing out here today. And um, it's amazing just to be back out on the streets again. Brilliant, brilliant. So great hearing from you, Tilda. Anything else to say to end up with? Uh, just solidarity to all my sisters out there. And uh, this is a joint fight. You know, you might, you might not be able to tell over the, woman, uh, over the phone, but I'm a transgender woman. Um, and, you know, I've, I'm here to show solidarity with all my sisters who are subject to this and all the trans people out there who share overlapping experiences with women who may not identify as women, but also share, you know, the risk of assault and abuse. And we all deserve, one, safe workplaces, but just a safe world to live in. And that's what we're fighting for. So I'm just so happy to be here in solidarity to all my sisters and all the people who are affected by this. Brilliant. Thanks so much, Tildy. Have a great day. Thanks for having me. Bye. Bye. So that was 3CR programmer Tilda Joy from the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union uh, speaking from yesterday's Melbourne March for Justice. He had to he had to Tuesday Breakfast would like to thank our friends at Living Coco for their support of the program. Living Coco puts community first by respecting food sovereignty. Based in Braybrook, they create bean-to-bar chocolates, cacao tea, intentional drinking cacao and cacao mass in bulk. A zero-waste manufacturing space, Living Coco ethically source cacao from over 130 domestic village farms in Samoa. They are at livingcoco.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Come back to 3CR. Now you're going to hear an interview from Sunday's episode of Out of the Pan with Sally Goldner. Sally interviews AP, who made the film Why Did She Have to Tell the World? It's a documentary about Francesca Curtis and Phyllis Paps, who came out as lesbians on national TV 50 years ago. Just a heads up and trigger warning that there is some discussion of homophobia in this interview. Here it is. Right now on the Zoom lines, I have um, with me um, a wonderful guest to talk about a wonderful um, documentary which premieres on ABC TV Plus tonight, of um, this very night as we go to air on Sunday the 14th of March, and we'll have a chat about that. And um, uh, um, their name is, well, I've, given, I've just taken away a first question. Uh, it is a big welcome to Abby Popjoy, um, who is also known as AP. Abby, welcome to the 3CR Airwaves. I might get you to do that again because after all my preparation, I forgot to put a button on because the 55-year-old, which we're going to talk about, still got the technology wrong, so I'll get you to say that again. (laughs) Sure thing. Hey, thanks so much for having me today. A pleasure. And 
Uh, I use the pronoun she, her, if it's okay to ask. Can I clarify which pronouns you use, if any? Yeah, I use they, them pronouns. And it's really important that we value all genders and sexualities, including um, the pronouns that people use, if any. And AP, you've got, um, you've been the director producer of a wonderful documentary, as I say, that airs on tonight on um, ABC TV Plus. Tell us all about it. Um, how did um, this um, all come about? Um, you know, sort of, it's, um, well, that, that, the documentary is your show for why did she have to tell the world, but now it's out of the pan is your show to tell us about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Why Did She Have to Tell the World is a half-hour uh, documentary that's premiering for the ABC Compass season for 2021, um, and it's a story about Phyllis Paps and Francesca Curtis, who is who are known as the first lesbian couple to come out nationally um, on television in 1970 on an ABC TV show called This Day Tonight. Uh-huh. Uh, so the documentary explores them and their 50-year relationship um, up until the marriage equality debate. So it's been about two years in the making, so we're really excited to get it out. Um, but we first came across this story in April 2019 um, when the women reached out to me when I was researching about their experiences at the Australian Queer Archives. So it was kind of a, it was a weird situation. Phyllis found me and kind of flew into my email inbox one day and was asking if she could meet me and we could... Um, uh, chat about why I was reading, digging into her life, which is fair enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and we met and there was just this instant connection and instant friendship. And we just thought, oh, well, we have to make a documentary about this. Yeah, well, look, I think this is, it's important for so many reasons. Um, we need to talk about the stories of seniors of all sorts. And then I'll say seniors in rainbow communities. But, um, you know, we can forget sometimes we, you know, it's good. I think that in Australia overall, yes, we've made some progress for um, gay, gay men and lesbians, but we forget that it was tough. I mean, 1970, I, mean, I might just ask you to frame a little of the legal and social landscape then and, um, um, you know, as to um, what what was going on then. We, hear, we do hear about issues for, uh, I, I will use the terminology, men attracted to men, um, of course, in terms of decriminalising um, consenting acts. But what was the situation perhaps for lesbians in Australia in the 1970s, just to give a framework? Yeah, it was it was such a pivotal time. I mean, 1970 was really just the mentality was still the end of the 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was very, very conservative government, very conservative um, legalities around the community at that time. And as said before, for gay men or men who are attracted to men, um, it was illegal and they were definitely conceived, like seen as either mentally ill or criminals. Um, and this, and the same was for lesbians. However, it wasn't illegal to be openly gay, like a gay woman. Um, but we were, but lesbian women were left, left out of that legislation completely because people just didn't think that lesbians existed. They didn't think that, uh, it was a true thing. They thought it was a myth, which I think created a different type of struggle for women who were really in the closet and didn't have any understanding of themselves. So, so there was a lot of political activity happening that time, the Vietnam War, the beginning of uh, the feminist movement. But uh, for, for lesbians, it really was a time of just finding other community. There, there was nothing for lesbians at all. It was just mm-hmm. it didn't like it didn't exist. Yeah, look, very, very much so. And, you know, we, we 
see this so often um, still nowadays for trans and gender diverse people, for perhaps for bi plus people. Um, um, I'm not, I don't feel quite as competent to comment for people with intersex variations, but you know, there's sort of a problem, I would guess, most likely, you know, finding each other can still be an issue. So I hope that that sort of helps us um, relate. Um, you know, some of our listeners who may be younger or from different communities relate, relate to that. I think that connection that we all know is so important. So they came to you and you've, you built a relationship with these two lovely women. Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, it was, it was, it was just, it was a really special connection from day one. I think even though we're 50 years apart or more, um, it was just this weird connection that like our identities were kind of in sync and you feel a, a great uh, deal of admiration for these women and what they did. But it's funny now after making the documentary, which of course is about them being absolute trailblazers. I think first and foremost, I just see them as two very, very dear friends of mine, almost like family, almost like family. And I think that this documentary wouldn't have been made without that trusting relationship. And mm. it, it took a while, uh, you know, a while to, to build that and to be able to ask hard questions like documentaries do. But I can't really explain it other than it's just been a connection from day one. It's, it, I, I do think there was some, some higher thing in the universe happening that brought us together. It's very bizarre how we found each other in this world. Yep. No, look, sometimes it's meant to be, and I think it is um, you know, so important that we tell the story of Fran- Francesca Curtis and Phyllis Paps and all the things that, well, they were and still are. Um, I just, I have to get one small trivia question out of my head. Who was the host of to this day tonight for this episode? Bill Peach. I thought it might have been. Was the, was the host, um, and... I'm unsure of the um, the director of this day tonight, but the story goes that he was uh, away. He was interstate during this, the filming of this interview, um, and he came back after it was filmed and it was aired, and he was absolutely horrified. And he he said if he was on the ground during that time, he would have never aired it. And I'm pretty sure there was some people in management for this day tonight that did get sacked as well. Um, so yeah, for being involved. So it was it was a lot, but yeah. Bill Peach, who is pretty much the face of uh, 1970s TV presenters during the time, um, yep. he was he was the host. Yeah, well, um, I, we could have lot. I could I could do lots of um, you know TV trivia questions, but I'll, I'll refrain. Um, Michael Michael <laughs> Schulberger and um, well yeah. on commercial TV, Mike Willis. Who, in fairness, did a great doco about trans mm. many years ago. But that's another story. Mm. But um, so you, you got the relationship going, but you of course. Um, it's not just um, at your your side of things as um, you know the um, on terms of creating this doco. Um, you of course needed a team, and that was really important yeah. for you. Absolutely, and also finding a team that uh, Sue and I'm um, not Sue, uh, Phyllis and Francesca mm. connected with as well. Um, but th- this documentary has been made um, with my fabulous co-creator and producer Bonnie Scott, and we were kind of there from day one, and. Um, I kind of brought her on the project when I uh, kind of graduated and I thought, oh, I have to tell the story. I ran over to her house. We had cups of tea and I basically pitched the documentary to her and she was like, yeah, let's let's do it. That sounds great. Um, and Phyllis and Francesca uh, love Bonnie and I and we're <clears throat> really big parts of their lives. But also, you know, a shout out to our executive producer, Sue Maslin and Diana Fisk, who were absolute guiding forces in this and having them be able to, 
provide their knowledge on how to get these types of story ma- stories made was amazing. Um, we also had a fabulous uh, director of photography, Flick Smith, and our editor, Taylor Martin, who sat in a dark room with me for hours to cut the documentary and didn't complain once. So that's great. <laughs> that's now the well, but all of that's impressive. I mean, as someone who used to, do, used to do a bit of community TV, I was in huge awe of the people doing the editing because, you know, we were there maybe half an hour or if, if there were breakdowns, which there were on community TV now, but then you've got to do all that editing and fine tuning and continuity and all the stuff afterwards oh. is just quite amazing. Yeah. Uh, so a big, a big tip they're, for that. They're, they're, yeah, different breed. Yeah. Yeah, well done for their their concentration and um, you know sort of um, a great team um, of um, you know people yeah. in there, but um, you know perhaps I'll I'll throw throw one in here. Um, let's do. Um, I'm going to ask you to give a couple of. I'll use the word teasers, not spoilers, um, for the documentary tonight. Um, what sort of things? <laughs> let's yeah. make sure we want we want people to watch, of course. Um, you know, sort of. Yeah. Um, what sort of things um, are discussed in broad terms? Yeah, well, uh, in broad terms, in broad strokes, we've got life that was that was for gay women in 1970. We've got marriage equality. We've got friendship. We've got some, some laughs in there too. I promise it's not all sad. There's definitely some laughs. Um, and we've got two women who paved the way for everybody else after them. So it's going to be a big, big night. Yeah, no, very, 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 very huge. And I, th- I think you've you've touched on a point there, um, you know, that um, perhaps, um, you know, sort of, it, as we as touched on earlier, there is, you know, has been some degree of progress for lesbians and gay men. Um, and, you know, marriage equality happened, which um, from that perspective was a good thing, although there's ongoing debates about mm-hmm. how marriage equality was achieved on from all angles. Mm-hmm. Um and I think people forget that for older, um, well, I'm going to say rainbow people, I'll broaden this bit beyond lesbians, that, you know, to go on TV in 1970 as an out um, rainbow person is a pretty, was a pretty huge thing. It was massive, absolutely massive. Yeah, um, I think it was. And I mean, you know, um, so I'll, again, I'll do a, tea, a specific teaser question. Um, does it talk about... Um, you know, how Phyllis and Francesca felt just before they, you know, sort of went on air um, or, or recorded that mm-hmm. original interview? Mm-hmm. It definitely touches upon um, kind of how, how they felt about the interview and, and in a retrospective sense, but, but also uh, the devastating effects that it had on their lives as well. Uh-huh. A really intimate sort of like portrayal of their family and their friends and how that, how that was impacted after coming out nationally. Um, so there's a lot of ins and outs. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil it though. <laughs> no, that's the thing. You've given us teasers. That's what we like on yeah. the show. So it really is important. And um, there's well, um, you can have a look at whydidshe.com.au to find out more information. But of course, most of all, the um, doco airs tonight. Um, let's go through that again, sort of at the when, when, where, how do we watch um, sort of thing so that we can all um, yeah. tune in tonight. Yeah, so it's on ABC TV Plus Yep. Um, at 8pm tonight. That's and then we've also got an encore next Sunday at 6.30pm on ABC TV. Encore at 6.30 on ABC um, 
you know, sort of free to air. So, and then of course his 8 p.m. will say Melbourne, Sydney, Canberra, Hobart, or yes, I should say Victoria, yes. ACT, New South Wales um, type um, type of time. Um, allowing for various time zones around the country as they say on the TV, check local guides, of course, for your time zones around <laughs> the country. Um, you know, look, and just, just for you, um, AP, you know, sort of what came as, as you went through this and, you know, now that the documentary's made, um, and has had, you know, and I know there's probably been a build up of nerves as sort of you throw, metaphorically throw the party tonight. But for you, how's, how's this been for you? How have you felt through mm. it? What have you learnt? What sort of things can you take forward? I'll say both as a filmmaker and more broadly as a mm. whole person out of all of this, because it sounds like it's it, been a phenomenal experience. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been such a journey. Um, and it's been, it's also been, it hasn't come without its challenges. I mean, being a young queer filmmaker and trying to get something funded and trying to get something up. Also, that's about queer people is, 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 you know, we still live in a patriarchy. It's some, it's somewhat mm. difficult. Um, but I've learned so much about myself as a creative and as a filmmaker and the types of stories that I want to tell and how I would want to be able to project those underrepresented voices to the world. But I think as a creative, it's just taught me so much about, um, listening. Just so much about acute listening to people's stories and and really taking in what they've been through, especially our, our queer elders. Yeah. Oh, look, I think that's a that's a wonderful. You know, that is possibly one of the themes. Imagine if more people did some more acute listening, we might just have a better planet. And I do feel, and I know this <laughs> this question is going to be a little left field, but um, you know, thinking about there's something happening tomorrow in Canberra and many, many cities and towns around the country, and that is the March for Justice, which, yes, the focus is on violence against women, but, of course, you touched on the word, the dreaded P word for patriarchy, and, of course, patriarchy creates a hierarchy on lots of things for gender identity and gender expression and body. And I know it's not directly related, but it, in a way, to some extent, this film, whilst it's a lesbian film, it's still also, of course, a women's film. Mm. And, of course, we've had all these, um, you know, the situation that has peaked in the last four weeks leading up to the March mm. for Justice tomorrow. Just putting it in that context for yourself in any capacity, just any mm. thoughts. I'll just throw it. Any thoughts there? It's, I don't think it's yeah. impossible not to talk about that. It's, yeah, no, it's been, it's, been a, it's been a crazy ride. And I think, I think something that most people have learned is that this, this documentary isn't just about isn't just about lesbians and isn't just for lesbians. I, I think that the film is about acceptance. It's mm. really about acceptance, and I think with with everything that's happening at the moment and with uh, the March for Justice, it, it just goes to show how we need to remember and retell in order to keep making change. And I think in this sense, that was Sally Goldner chatting with AP, the director of Why Did She Have to Tell the World. If you want to check out the film, it's showing at Melbourne Queer Film Festival and is also on ABC iView. Out of the Pan broadcasts on 3CR on Sundays at midday and it's also also available on podcast. All right, now we're going to go to a live interview that I have uh, with Sasha Sidek. Sasha is a co-founder of Trans Sisters United, not-for-profit community group that creates projects that benefits the transgender and cisgender female community. Also the co-founder of Trans Pride March Melbourne um, and is also that, that familiar voice to one of the three radio presenters as Sassy at Behind Closed Doors uh, right here on 3CR. 
Uh, Sasha is a feminist and a fierce advocate with an empowering message of moving beyond gender expectations to live more authentically. Uh, Sasha's on the show to talk about her upcoming spoken word performance that will be um, going ahead at the Midsummer Festival 2021, and it's called Let Me Get Something Off My Chest. Hi, Sasha. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Good morning. Good morning. How are you this morning? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? I'm very good. Yeah, really good. Um, All right, let's start off. Uh, Let's dive straight into um, Let Me Get Something Off My Chest. What is uh, Let Me Get Something Off My Chest about and what was your contribution? Sure. Um, let Let Me Get Something Off My Chest, a storytelling night of polemical rants and writers' queer rage. It's joined an array of activists, activists, feminists, and wordsmiths as they take to the stage to let the world know what's been making them angry, bemused, or confused this year. Yeah. Um, this, e- this event also um, is taking place in the heart of one of the Melbourne cultural melting pots. It's the Bowery Theatre in St Albans. I've actually never been to St Albans before, so they will be my first time. <laughs> oh well, it'll be it'll be an experience for everyone, and including yourself. Um, yes, definitely. Yeah. Also, do you want to talk about? I guess what was the inspiration for creating a spoken word performance like this? You know, we we um, as a team, it's not just me. There's Dean and Kitty as well from behind closed door. We'll be performing together. Um, we never actually perform anything outside of 3CR before. So this will be our very first... Yes! (laughs) Um, So uh, when Sam Elkin, um, the producer, um, got in touch with us and uh, told us that he wanted us to do a spoken word, and I think we discussed as a team and we thought this would be a good um, time for us to get out there because we've been on the show for... I mean, the three C on three C R for two years now. Our birthday is coming up in two weeks' time, wow. and we thought we're gonna come out. And because this year as well, our theme is about breaking stigma. This is this is why we decided to do the spoken words and to yeah to show us to show the world about um, our life as. Um, uh, the life of sex workers on the radio show. Yeah, um, well, it sounds mm. like an absolutely um, fabulous uh, topic, and it sounded like you uh, had a lot of fun, I guess, um, uh, thinking of the concept and um, uh, curating it, I guess. Um, do you want to speak about, uh, I guess, how will it be performed and a little bit about, um, yeah, what, what exactly... Um, maybe the spoken word element is and what you'll be doing on stage? Sure. Yep. Um, the, the three of us have different passion. Like Kitty are more focused on sexual health and family violence. And Dean um, would be focusing on his personal stories and discrimination. And for me, I'll be preaching on human rights and ending stereotypes. And yeah, so... I, I won't give up a lot more, so you yeah, just want to see our piece. So um, get tickets now because it's selling really fast. And we also, it has to be, it only has 200 capacity. 
because of the COVID safe um, environment. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. So, know, yeah. yeah, it's only 200 seats. Um, yeah, get on, get on tickets quick. Yeah. Um, we'll definitely get to, uh, I guess, where our audience can buy tickets um, and access more information about the show. I did just want to ask you, what did you enjoy the most about making this spoken word performance? I think um, we got to know each other a lot more better. We had actually uh, rehearsed on our piece um, at my place on International Women's Day. Uh, uh, we had lunch at my place and we did rehearse and we did the editing and to make the piece even stronger. We actually learned about each other a lot more um, during that rehearsal. So, yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a really mm. nice... Um collaborative, community, supportive um, show that you're putting on. Um, In terms of the audience, um, do you have anything that you would hope that they would come away with after viewing it, um, or if there was anything at all? Yes, we want this space for people to have a conversation with us. We want people to leave the theatre to be thinking about what um, we... Uh, what we have to preach on that stage. So we want to open a conversation for the public. Um, yeah, so so that that is our um, our motive of being on this show. Definitely. And obviously mm. the um, performance is being conducted part of the Midsummer Festival. Um, do you mm-hmm. want to talk about, I guess, the Midsummer Festival, what you love about the Midsummer Festival and why I guess it's important um, for this to be a part of that? Yeah, sure. I mean, I've, I've been going to Midsummer Festival almost every year and, um, and, um, it feels, whenever I'm there, if I feel free because I get to meet a lot of, um, my queer friends and, um, it's just, it's a very happy moment whenever we're there. So I think Midsummer Festival is very, uh, is close to my heart because Every year we get to meet all those friends that we haven't seen the whole year and we we all get there and gathered ourselves and just catching up. Yeah, definitely. Um, mm. I went for the first time last year, actually, and it was so much fun. Oh, my God. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> so it just got fun. better every year. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Um, and just a finishing note, uh, for our audience that want to buy tickets, they want to um, check out the Spoken Word performance, um, where can they buy tickets? Okay, you can just um, Google uh, Creative Brim Bank, let me get, let me get something off my chest. There's also a Facebook page as well. So type in, let me get something off my chest. Um, and also at trybooking.com um, by the Gender Whisperers. Yeah, and I've got all those links um, with me and I'll be popping them on the website as well. Well, it sounds like an absolutely uh, amazing uh, performance that you're going to be doing. And um, I would highly recommend our listeners get tickets to have... Um, to be able to view it at Midsummer Festival and also support, um, you know, artists um, and performers at Midsummer Festival in general. But thank you so much for joining us, Sasha. Thank you. I'm looking forward to see everyone on the 19th of April at 6.30 p.m. Yes, definitely. Um, that was mm-hmm. Sasha Sidek, uh, co-founder of Trans 
uh, Sisters United, uh, non-for-profit community group that creates projects that benefits the transgender and cisgender female. Um, Sasha's also a presenter on 3CR, and she was just talking about um, an upcoming spoken word performance for Midsummer Festival uh, titled Let Me Get Something Off My Chest, um, which is happening in April, and we'll put all the details up on our website. On Tuesday, March the 16th at 6pm, the Indigenous-led charity Books and Boots will host a special screening of the film In My Blood It Runs at the Thornbury Picture House. All ticket sale proceeds will go to Books and Boots, who transport pre-loved children's books to First Nations kids in remote communities across Australia. For a fun night out and to help close the literacy gap, head to Eventbrite and search Closing the Gap Fundraiser for Books and Boots or go to the website booksandboots.org.au to secure your tickets. Let's do it for the Eyes. Books and Boots is a 3CR supporter. There's kind of a lot of... A lot of things that are coming up to the fore at the moment as well, particularly in terms of the way that we imagine, for example, essential work and also sort of essential community life or essential caregiving um, and how those how those function. If we think about sort of the way that queer family often takes very, very sort of different forms and very you know important and meaningful forms that often don't match the picture of normative, heteronormative family life, but how so many of the of the affordances or the restrictions or the kind of the, the government governmental sort of imagining of the way that we should live and what we need to live and what we need to survive really is shaped around heteronormativity. You know, it's around the family life in the suburb, as opposed to many, you know, single individuals who have shared queer family, both sexual and community connections that sustain them and that kind of give them give them life and give them give them sort of energy and comfort and safety and security and support. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio AM on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio. You're on 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. The time is 8.17. We're nearly coming to the end of our show, but we're going to play you a few tracks um, to just round it out. Uh, the first track um, it's by an Australian-based uh, artist called Ms. Thandy, who's an independent African-Australian R&B singer-songwriter. Uh, whose nostalgic, soulful and sensual sound has taken over the conversation regarding Sydney's new wave of female creatives. This is a song titled The Eyes. Thank you. 
was a song by Miss Dandy titled The Eyes. Um, actually, to round out the show, we're going to play another um, interview that was done for the March for Justice yesterday. Um, 3CR broadcasted live from the March, and this is an interview done with Judith Peppard. And we've got someone else who's calling in from Canberra, I believe. It's Judith Peppard, a 3CR Current Affairs broadcaster. Judith, can you hear us? Yes, I can. It's amazing here. <laughs> I think there's the, the police are estimating 4,000 people, but if that's the police estimate, I think there's a lot more. <laughs> you can't see the end. And I've been going around just talking to people, asking why they're here. I'm sorry, I'm moving away. I don't want, we've just had a quiet moment. Oh, we've had the, the, the welcome to country. We've had some poetry and we've had something on quiet listening. So we're just kind of moving out of that. So, but, so uh, Ju- Judith, tell us, a, tell us a little bit about why people have come. I'm very interested to hear people's impressions oh. of why they're there and so forth. Well, I mean, it, it, people are really passionate. Like some people have never been to a rally before, you know, That's and amazing. this is the first time that I know. But they're just so concerned, particularly the women and men. I've spoken to a few men as well. They're concerned for their daughters, they're concerned for their granddaughters, and they're concerned for their sons that they don't grow up in this way. So that's the kind of thing they've been saying. There's, a, there's two women who have come up from Sydney, and they're wearing handmade tail outfits. 
<laughs> so they got the bonnet and the robes on, and they're just feeling like, and actually some music starting now with chant. I don't know if you can hear it in the distance, maybe not. But uh, yes, anything else you were wondering? Yes, or, uh, so I'm really curious about just the atmosphere there too. It sounds quite beautiful. You've had poetry and Welcome to Country. So what are your feelings and impressions? How are you feeling about being there? I feel it's amazing, and I feel it from you know all the people here, the women, like they, you know, walking up. We pass like people have come from Brisbane, um, a couple spoken, a couple from Coffs Harbour, from Melbourne, and also from Sydney, and uh, and it's all like a real. There's a real sense of sisterhood. Like people know why they're here, and they really value that we're here together, and it's. Yeah, it's very powerful, I must say. And as one woman said, I know I'm going to cry sometime today. Yes. <laughs> Judith, it looks like you've got a beautiful blue sky up there at the moment. I'm just having a look at Twitter oh. and some of the signage. Oh, the signage is fantastic. And again, so creative. You know, and some of them are going on, um, you know, Julia Gillard's uh, talk on misogyny, and they've quoted from that. They put photos of. Uh, uh, Scott Morrison there. Um, they've, um, yeah, I mean, and lots of enough is enough. And so many older women I spoke to said, we thought we'd done this. Yes. You know, we thought we'd finished this work and we can't believe that we're still doing it. And lots of people said things have not improved since, you know, 20, 30 years ago when I marched. Yeah, people that's, really that's, feel that quite strongly. That's, that's a yeah. big thing, isn't it? I'm still marching for what's, you know, going on. How long is this going to take? But we've just received a powerful picture from up there with um, pictures of Parliament saying rape place, which is very powerful. Oh, so wow. That's from yeah, Canberra, so it shows the Canberra building. But, yeah, yeah. what's happening there? What's yeah, happening yeah. in that building? Not, not a very safe yeah. place, eh? No, not a safe workplace at all, for sure. And I don't know if you saw, I think when Sally McManus arrived in Canberra, there was a, someone at the airport with a sign, Beware the Ides of March, Scott Morrison. And if you know the Ides of March, of course, is when Julius Caesar was murdered. And I just thought it was just a wonderful poster, but I don't see it here today. But it could be, because there's just so many. Yeah, and the day, it's beautiful. I mean, and you know what? It's going to rain all the rest of the week. <laughs> well, some, the, the, goddess, the goddess is up there looking after us, I think. Yeah, Good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Now, we've received various pictures from the placards up there. They look really imaginative, and it seems like there's a real atmosphere. Lots of different women, eh? Young women, old women, you know, different nationalities. So, yeah, good stuff. Yes, I spoke to some women from the ANU and men, Student Association. And, you know, and people are, you know, there are people here, like one of those women said, I've had this happen to me. I don't want it to happen to anyone else. And that's why I'm out. And, you know, different cultures, backgrounds, it is amazing. Young, all ages. <laughs> well, thanks so much, um, Judith, for that call. That was great to hear what's happening up in Canberra. Have a good rest yes, of the day. Tell us, yeah, oh, good one. Thank it's you. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Judith. That was Judith Peppard uh, yesterday at the March for Justice um, that, yeah, it was happening in Melbourne. Uh, 3CR was interviewing and broadcasting live from the march. Yeah, so, um, you know, yesterday's march, obviously there were a lot of calls for change. Um, uh, with the, you know, there seemed to be a focus on parliament and on, 
you know, the Liberal Party, especially after the last few weeks of um, allegations of sexual assault. Um, just as a final note, as we end today's breakfast show, um, uh, just want you to keep an eye out for um, things that have been happening within the state um, government as well. There seems to be, um, there might be a challenge within the Liberal Party um, uh current Liberal leader Michael O'Brien might be facing a challenge from uh, frontbencher Brad Batten um, and yes there um, there was or there is sorry um, a uh, party room meeting this morning at 8.45 so just keep an eye out for that what happens afterwards yeah yeah it'll be interesting given what happened with the WA election mm. on the weekend I think the Liberals now have two seats in WA, which is less than the Nats, um, and the Labour Party has 50 out of, what's that? Like, That's a big majority. Um, and yeah, I feel like the Queensland election was similar to that, mm. and over in New Zealand it was a landslide as well. So I guess, mm. yeah, stay tuned to hear more about that and keep listening to 3CR programming to hear some analysis as well. Definitely, 3CR will most likely definitely be following all of this news, especially, I mean, we just want to send out, um, shout out to all of the people that were standing up against uh, misogyny and patriarchal system, all of the Indigenous women, trans women, non-binary, um, everyone that was there, um, definitely shout out to you. Um, you know, this is a really difficult topic. This is a really difficult um, challenge to face. And, you know, um, staying tuned to 3CR, uh, we'll be discussing all of these issues following all the activism. But, yeah, definitely really good job with the march and um, everything. I mean, it's been pretty full-on few weeks, I think, for a lot of people. So it's really awesome to see people still out there. Um, but... We are just going to be rounding up the show now. Stay tuned because there's Accent of Women up next with Giselle Hanna. Um, really good show, so I'd definitely stay tuned for that. Um, obviously, tune in tomorrow for Wednesday breakfast. But thank you so much for joining us. Hope you have a good rest of your day. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's radical independent bookseller and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. Or check them out at nibs.org.au to find more information about upcoming discussions and events. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.